trying to make it right These people won't let me go I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make it right These people won't let me go Let me grow, let me go Let me grow, let me go They should know, they should know They should know, they should know I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow Welcome to the Tea with Brie. I'm your host, Brie. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro into how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I am joined by my guest, Dr. Aparajita Judagunta who uses she, her pronouns, is a social personality psychologist and a certified professional executive coach. She is also a published author, podcaster, and traumatic brain injury survivor turned mental well-being advocate. She helps ambitious working women overcome self-doubt and imposter syndrome to build rewarding careers and thrive as visible leaders who are seen, heard, valued, respected, and recognized. She also consults and partners with corporate organizations to create custom-made comprehensive solutions that help them break their silo cultures and create interconnected, inclusive organizational cultures where their talent can fully belong and thrive. Hello, friend. (laughs) Hi. Thank you so much for having me on here. Of course. I feel like I had to return the favor. I was on your podcast eons ago and now here we are full circle <laughs> i know i know and i know i've said this before can i can but can i just like really just fangirl on <laughs> tea with brie like so brilliant thank you thank you i know you were one of the ones who like first pushed me to do like this audio via zoom recording and i was so nervous for such a long time but it has really been like a lifesaver during quarantine to like not only get to connect with people who don't live in the same city as me but just to be able to like record different voices from all over. So I also thank you for that extra friend push (laughs) that we sometimes need. So yeah, uh, for the guests, well, the folks who are listening, we met via NLC, which I have mentioned so many times in the show before, which literally is life-changing. And we met via um, convention in 2018. 19. 19. I was like, time. 2019. Um, and just, you know, we've connected since then. And just, yeah. I, that's why I love your podcast so much. And I'll be sure to include it in the show notes because it's you interviewing other NLC folks and talking about the work that we do after we finish Institute, after we've gone to convention. And um, I'm very, well, I'm very sad convention is online this year. I'm also really excited um, because I think it'll just give access to more people to be able to go and experience it because it is you know, it is, it is a, it literally shifted my life last year after convention. Like I went with two women that are on the board who like I wasn't super close with. And we have now been in a group chat (laughs) since convention till now. We talk literally every day, all day. And, you know, now being co-director and getting to chat with other co-directors and what they're, what they're dealing with in their communities and, you know, the black caucus and the LGBTQ caucus and just, how much 
you know, this beautiful groups of political nerds <laughs> literally become a family. Um, and we had a, a fellow this year, she just graduated and we did an online event, which was really beautiful. Um, and she pointed out how like another friend was like, it's going to feel like a family. And she's like, ah, we'll see when I get there. And now she's like, it's, it's, it's legit. It's, it's like, family. it's like, it's, it's, it's sort of like a familial cult. And once you're in, you're in and you love everyone and, you know, people who help you find jobs and, you know, people who you end, like people end up meeting their spouse and, you know, just literally the family just keeps growing and it's such a beautiful thing. And yeah, it's just changed my life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have to agree with that 100%. I mean, you know this, uh, but for your listeners, you know, um, everything I do now came out of NLC. Yeah. You know, my podcast came out of NLC convention of me being inspired by, um, you know, this weird thing where it's, I love how you called us political nerds, right? Because I've never, I am, I like run the other way when politics are involved. Yeah. Because I'm just like, nope, too much energy. But I still had a space and a voice in the NLC family, even though I had, I still to this day have zero political aspirations. Um, and I won't for the next <laughs> 10 years. I can guarantee you that. No, yeah. not happening. But I'm still able to contribute on the back end. I'm still able to support those who do have political aspirations yeah. and be able to offer my insights and contributions there. And so to have that kind of a space and to have that kind of, uh, like you said, a family cult actually is a really good way of putting it but we're a good cult y'all we're a really one. really good cult we're not like one of those crazy cults you can come and go as you please we're just yep. saying once you're in you're in and we love you yeah yeah it's 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 been um nlc convention was like one of the most life-changing experiences probably the most life-changing experience of my life especially since i gave that spark talk and People contact me now about like, like, Hey, I saw this Ted talk style thing you did and that was powerful. And I'm yeah. like, what are you talking about? Oh, the NLC spark talk. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think also it's, it's just the amount of connection you make. Like you, it's, it's interesting when we talk about it on our end of, you know, if you think of Institute, it is two days a month for six months. And so it's what, 16-ish hours that you're just like, you have to come in willing to be completely vulnerable, honest, and upfront. And I think that's what pushes a lot of people is that you literally create these bonds of, I'm coming as my whole self to this situation of knowing basically no one here um, and trusting y'all to hold space with me. And you know, it's, yeah, I could talk about it for days. I will be yeah. sure to plug in the show notes, but I think that you know, like you're saying with, you know, talking about politics, yes, well, it trains, it trains folks how to be more involved in politics and in nonprofits and all that sort of entrepreneurial aspirations, but also like it just is so beneficial, period. Like, while I sometimes think I want to run for office, um, there are other people like you're saying, like yourself, who don't. And it's just, we are, we were taught when we were younger, like you don't talk about religion, you don't talk about politics. And now that has gotten completely switched on its head in our, in our society and how that has really like changed how we look at things. So yes. NLC forever, new leaders council. Absolutely. It's, it's, 
the best we were able we had a really good uh our event was so beautiful we recorded it and i think we're gonna like post it and share it but our our fellows were the best it was like a good it was like a telethon it was like really fun and we gave we give out awards at ours we honor um, organizations and individuals in our community um, and it, we had like hosts and videos and musicians and it was just, oh, yeah. it was a party. It was a legit party. We didn't charge like anyone to come in. We just did like donations at the end. If you felt yeah. so compelled, um, we, our fundraising folks are great. And we got like sponsors who sponsored the event and were able to use like a zoom uh, and did it on Facebook live. So mm-hmm. it was, yeah, it was, it was my co-director and I were just like, proud parents the other day <laughs> like look at the yeah. kids <laughs> they're all grown I up and I know. and uh now we're switching over um because she's been the co-director for two years and I've been it for a year and we're both deciding to step down this year <gasps> um yeah at the same time well, well with me big. moving to Philly well yeah and uh she now oversees another board and her job has just gotten really busy um, so what we're going to do is like a lot of warm handoffs and meeting with the people, but we had a lot of fellows and a lot of alumni apply to be co-directors and other spots on the board. Our curriculum person, Tara, was the, we only had one and she had a committee and they knocked it out of the park this year. And so we set a lot of stuff in place that it could just literally be repeated, but it was, yeah. it's just been so beautiful to see how our chapter, the Austin alumni and everyone who's just like really rallied around each other this year. So yeah, I could talk about MSC all day. (laughs) I know. Right. I, um, I, I, I was able to participate in like the first 10 minutes of NLC Detroit's graduation ceremony yesterday, last night. Mm -hmm. I was there uh, right when Claire started talking, I got a client crisis call. So I had to go and I was like, (sighs) <laughs> yes can you time your crises better right Ugh. i mean i sound so horrible just even thinking that but oh this was so important but i'm so glad i got to experience that even for 10 minutes because it was magical for me when i went through it and um to see that same kind of magic in you know because you can see through people's energy i can yeah. see through people's energy Absolutely. of like them experiencing that magic of like that transition from being a fellow to being a part of this elite alum circle, right? Like that really is a rite of passage right there um, in, in, in such a beautiful way of being getting connected to like the overall network. Um, and I could talk about NLC all day too, but there's a couple of things that come up um, as you're talking about all of this that I like really, really want to highlight. Um, not just about NLC, but about like the sanctity and the beauty of the of spaces like ours. One, and this has sort of has nothing to do with NLC. Now that you've put the seed in my head that you may <laughs> want to run for office someday, you know I'm going to start bugging you about oh, it. Oh, you you are joining a long list of people. Don't worry All right, about it. Get everyone, me on that group. Everyone's so always I can constant. Start. Everyone's been yelling because like with me thinking of moving to Philly, everyone's like, "But you already have like such a power here in Austin. Why would you leave?" And I'm like. <laughs> Well, we've talked about that. I understand mm-hmm. why you want to leave. Right. I think you can still do this political thing if you want to. And you know I'm on your team, however you, you need me. Yes, go um, ahead. You were going to say something. Yeah, that was one thing. The second thing is just if when you think about, you know, and, you know, this is really for listeners who I feel like a majority of us who are millennials and Gen Z, um, 
our big problem is finding spaces where we feel like we belong and mm-hmm. where we feel like our voices actually matter. Um, NLC was actually was 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 phenomenal beyond all expectations in that sense because it was this was a space where I knew I wanted to I knew in the scope of what I'm doing there was going to be a public facing persona of Mm -hmm. me and NLC created that space even though like you said these these this was a cohort that didn't know each other you know, but to be able to practice that vulnerability and to get comfortable with the strength of our vulnerability before we took it to the outside world, Mm -hmm. that is an opportunity that you don't find in too many other spaces. And it really is that, is that this is a space where you get to actually, without judgment, tweak your comfort level Mm-hmm. to how much vulnerability you want to show and how much vulnerability you want to own up to and what exactly is the persona that you want to put out there. Yeah. And I think for people who want to have public facing personas, that kind of practice is critical because that's what I see a lot of is this, you know, going back and forth of somebody saying something and then being like, Oh crap, I didn't mean that. Da, 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 da. Right. You know, and it's like, really, you didn't practice any of this stuff before you said it? Right. Absolutely. And NLC gives you that space. I think the other thing is um, we as a board decided this year, as you know, like that first weekend, you tell like that, like you tell your life story. And they, I think what really sets the tone with every single chapter and then it as like a whole organization is we all know we have had to do that level of vulnerability. So it's like that sense of connection and camaraderie and trust that you build so quickly because you are coming in and being like, hey, we are going to, not only is it, you know, all these like what, 20 new people you're meeting in your cohort, the two facilitators who who run it for you that weekend, the board who comes in, the alumni who comes in and talks, the volunteers who used to, who are alum. And I think it's just like, this family reunion you didn't realize you were getting invited into and knowing that they have all essentially like had to like for lack of a term like leave something at the altar of this nlc chapter and all like pay it forward and like we have been where you are we know what you're going through we can empathize we are here in this safe space in building this for you and you know i think that's where the, that family level of it all comes from is you just know that you have all gone through what it takes to be here and you're you're creating this safe space and being like we see you we hear you we accept you as you are with your flaws and showing up with nothing but love and appreciation cuz we like we say we know what it is like to just who especially like you're saying for people who aren't used to being vulnerable like me I'm a social worker like I and I listen to Brene Brown all the time so I am the queen of just being like what do you want to know I I am a therapist's dream I will tell you anything I will work through everything which is how this whole like show got started is I just wanted to give people that same sort of space so that was what was so beautiful about NLC is you know I knew one or two people in my cohort class when we went in but we had never talked about our life stories it's like you meet your friend where they are in their life, but you don't really talk about the other stuff until like you get there or something big happens. But Mm -hmm. 
you sit here with these 30 new people you meet and just are like, this is me, where I've come from, this is who I am currently and where I want to go. And I think that just sets the tone. And, and I, like you're saying, NLC just, just changed everything. Absolutely. Um, it's so funny you bring that up because, um, so my entrepreneur BFF is um, my NLC cohort member. We talk like nearly four times a week and we exchange entrepreneurial business ideas like, and it, there's just so much, so much constant mm-hmm. back and forth with zero expectations or judgments. And to have that kind of support, especially as a small business owner, uh, to have another person of color, woman, small business owner who is, I mean, granted, she's in round two of her seating. So she's, she's way <laughs> ahead, you know. But she's but, able to give you advice now, yeah. Right? And, 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 and then, but then for her to also reach out to me and say, I, this was so long ago. I don't know how to navigate this. What are you going through? Like, what can you, like, where's your, like, where's your yeah. instinct going? Like, like, hey, I just got approached by this person who said they wanted to be an investor. Here's their story. What is your instinct telling you? And I'm like, mm, there's something. Mm, 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 mm. Why tech. aren't they giving you X, Y, and Z? There's something hinky going on there. She goes back and she's like, oh my God, you were right exactly about those points. So to be able to have that kind of a trust to where we can have these conversations to uplift ourselves and then to uplift our businesses and our communities through it and to create, and this is counterintuitive, right? Because business is supposed to be competitive what we're actually doing is we're building collaboration and not competition. So to create that intentional collaboration and completely put competition, like just take it out of the picture. Like we're both going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah. Like we're, we're all going to be okay. There is space for all of us. I say that all the time is I want all of us to win. There's so much space for all of us to, to take up the same amount of space, to share space, to give up space to other people. Like, and this moves beautifully into your topic of like the lack of diversity, equity, inclusion, and woman leadership. We as women are taught to compete with each other. And I think the minute you realize that like other women want you to do well, that changes everything in your life. Right? Like, with me, like growing up, I grew up, it was, I'm the only child my parents had. I come from a very large family, had a lot of cousins and grew up in a very, like the, my neighborhood, like it was all kids. I was, I was so fortunate. We all, they all had kids my age. Like we all grew up together. We're still super close together um, to each other, but it's, you know, growing up being friends with a lot of boys and, you know, they would start having girlfriends and their girlfriends didn't understand like why we were friends and like nothing had ever happened it's like this is like my brother like I've known them so much but we as women it's so ingrained of us like we have to look a certain way all women are competition you know your friends aren't really your friends like they're always going to backstab you like this this energy that we are taught in and is ingrained in our brains but as you get older and you start to move through the world you're just like yeah, I could I could waste my energy hating you for no reason, or I could love you and hope you do well and have good energy in all situations and root you on and, 
you know, that, that sense of collaboration, not competition. Oh, that just is literally my heart. And as you're saying, like you're NLC fellow alum, you know, you two talking, the girl, the co- my co-director, her and I have talked about if I run for office, she's like, well, I want to be your campaign manager if you run for office. And so just the, the amount of, you know, they, women want other women to do well. There is no reason why we have to, to compete. And I think, you know, as we continue on and, and see how this goes of, you know, the more women that take space and do things and run for office or start their own business and, you know, reaching out and being like, I want to like give you this chance to speak. Like I just did a panel uh, at the end of May, May. Um, and my friend, she, um, her and her husband are actors on the show and one of their co co-actors or co-workers whatever the world word is um they are three white people giving up their space to three black people to come in and have this panel discussion and so for her to be to come to me as a woman her having this privilege her knowing me and knowing the message I push out all the time and her giving up that space and that's what we've been saying a lot lately as we continue through this Black Lives Matter movement of white women giving up their space to black women and melanated women and amplifying those voices and like you're saying collaborate no competition we can all succeed we can all win we can all back each other but like we know it's all societal pressure teaching us in our brain that like well if you win that means that someone else is losing but you're saying what we're saying is if you win that means you can now help other people win that like hand back to help uplift others so oh yeah yeah absolutely because here's my bottom line inclusion is not a zero-sum game prosperity is not a zero-sum game. Because if we think about just the notion of prosperity and prospering, um, we actually have an untold number of resources. Our resources may be different, but when we pull the entire possibility of resources together, there is space for everybody. And inclusion and power are not zero-sum games. The more you include, the more power you give to other people, the very notion of inclusion and power, that table keeps growing and growing and growing, right? And it's interesting you brought up what you did because about the idea of competition between women, because I actually think that is something that we in the initially in the Western culture, but now in the global culture, we've really been conditioned and brainwashed to think that way because it is an intersection, you know, because when we talk about intersectionalities, the one thing I see missing in there is the intersectionality of our biases. Hmm. Explain that more. So we look at our intersectionalities as, you know, our race, our gender, our ability slash disability, our whatever, whatever, you know, whatever factors are in our reality. Let's look at the biases. When you look at why, you know, this whole rhetoric of women are each other's worst enemies, uh, you know, that, that if I have a woman boss, she's going to be less likely to promote me than da, 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 da. That actually is something brainwashed into us. And it is an intersectionality of affinity bias and gender bias. So affinity bias, cognitive, like in from cognitive psychology tells us that we prefer those who look like us, who think like us, who act like us, and all of that. So yes, there had been a whole generation of women who had to adopt the stereotypical masculine leadership traits for them to get ahead. 
Mm. In addition to that, there is a gender bias. They know they're the anomalies. So they got adopted because they stepped out of, outside of their gender roles and expectations to create this affinity. But now if they start promoting other girly girl women or however you want to call it, other women who don't buy into those stereotypical white male leadership traits, they're traitors in quotes. That would affect their position. And of course, as people, we are always going to be self-interested, right? So we're always going to want to think about where these power structures lie and we're going to try to err on the side of caution for our best interests. So when these, when this affinity bias and this gender bias intersect, what that leaves us with is this whole layer of women who have adopted these stereotypical white male leadership traits and can't step out of those mm. because their position is threatened. I have so much I want to say <laughs> to this. I recently got furloughed from uh, a tech job um, where I was the only black person who worked there. And, you know, my background is in fundraising, public speaking, marketing. So like not to do my own horror, but also like I'm the full package. Like yeah. I can pretty much either fake it till I make you it are. or <laughs> what have you. But I had such internalized um, imposter syndrome when I got there because like I had never worked in tech. It was it was the first job that I had where I was the I mean, I have always, uh, the jobs I've worked with, I've always been surrounded by other women or other people of color or other queer people. So now I'm in this space where it is mostly cis, hetero, white men and a couple of women. But I also noticed that, like you're saying, some of these white women had internalized misogyny and it was so detrimental because my background and especially in social worker social work is like especially working in nonprofits we have to be in this together or nothing is going to get done and so i came from a privilege of constantly working with people who you know were always uplifting me helping me out it was very much like chips in the night like passing things back like a conveyor belt like we had to work together to get things done and so i came to this job and was able to work with some like younger women who like had never been in these settings or younger men who had never been in, in like the workforce. It's like, I was able to like have conversations with them and like things would happen. And with my experience, like this is how it should be. Like no one should be tone policing you at your job, especially as a woman. And you need to call that out. Or, you know, that was a homophobic comment. You have every right to be upset about it. Like a lot of validation that they weren't getting. But one of the, the women who I worked with had such internalized misogyny that something had happened. I had helped her with her project she had, had asked me about. I said yes, joined in and helped her. And then it turned out like this project, she didn't like really look at the thing I sent her and it turned like to be this really big kerfuffle of a thing. And so with me being from the East Coast and being just a person who like, I will call my own shit out and be like, no, I messed up. This is what happens. And so we're t I'm talking to our CEO explaining what happened, where the, where the mis under, miscommunication came from. And it's all over Slack. So like a couple people can see it. And I'm just like, okay, totally get it. I had sent it for approval. She was a manager. She didn't say anything about it. And 
it made me so angry that she went and like read the thing because she com- she wrote me privately after. So she went and like read the whole thing and then messaged me after like, you know, I'm really sorry that happened, blah, blah, blah. I was like, your apology in silence means nothing because you could have stood up for me there. I'm like, so I will no longer be helping you because now I don't trust you. So I'm no longer going to go on a limb to help you anymore. I have my own stuff I can be doing that I was trying to be nice and bring that same energy from my lash up to this one. But it was just like, you have now isolated me. I don't feel comfortable with you anymore. So I'm not going to, you know, jump in anymore to help you like I normally would have because of that internalized misogyny of like what I've seen with cis hetero white men of just being like, you know, if you mess up as a person of color, it is easier for me to throw you under the bus and not have to admit it versus, you know, me, like you're saying, me risk uh, losing my spot in this, in this hierarchy pyramid. So yeah, I, that, I, yeah, tangents. Yeah, no. And I think, um, you know, but, and it's interesting that you brought that up in the scope of this woman um, because you and I both know there's a lot of this happening in corporate, uh, which is why we're in the space for it, you know, to, to really fight against this. But this is also coming from existing leadership. I mean, if you think about this whole, there is a real, real, I mean, to the point where Harvard Business Review has done several reports on it, on how current white male leadership is terrified of taking any action because they're so afraid of saying or doing the wrong thing. And it's like, can we actually unpack this? Because um, the, the, the whole idea of like, we don't even realize when we do those kind of things, one, how much we're centering ourselves and taking away from the reality of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And two, um, what we're presenting as, you know, like, like if, 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 if you are centering yourself and taking away from the conversation, how can I possibly trust you moving forward? Yeah. I think, you know, as we talk about, um, like decentering ourselves, especially right now, I mean, we're recording today, it's June 12th and, you know, with the the Black Lives Matter movement being rejuvenated and a lot of people noticing and joining in on the fold. But I've been talking to a lot of white and non-black people of color about decentering themselves when they're talking about the work that they are doing. I am happy you are doing this work. I am grateful that you are, you know, joining in on what's been going on for, for centuries. But if I see one more person right, I don't know what to say. I'm so uncomfortable. I don't want to get things wrong. You're making this about you. And it's that, that again, like you're saying with these men of like, well, we don't want to offend anyone or like, pe- pe- or the other people who have been saying like, you know, it's a scary time for men in America because they can't do anything right because of me too. And I'm like, so the minute that a woman speaks up and makes and a man finally gets to feel that level of discomfort or a white person or a non-black person or, you know, someone else, people who aren't usually marginalized get have to feel discomfort. Now we're supposed to just drop everything and coddle you. And I'm like, marginalized people feel this all the time. We have never had a chance to chill. And so if you are uncomfortable, that means you are doing it right. And I, I am grateful that you're uncomfortable, but I'm not going to have 
I'm not going to give you a cookie for feeling discomfort when I've done it my whole life. And I just, and that's, that's what got me that, that, yeah, exactly. Like you want to, you want, it's, it's the uh, participation trophy that everyone wants. I'm like, no, unless you're making a goal, girl, I cannot, I cannot award you first prize. Right. So yeah, I, I totally. I wish your listeners you. could have um, seen my eye roll or heard my <laughs> eye roll. <laughs> it was a good one. I saw it. <laughs> But that's all it is, is like every, or the people who don't say anything and then they're just like acting like things are normal. I'm like, you, no answer is an answer. No response is a response. You saying nothing says everything I need to know about you, Uh right? It's, it's this level of, you know, so I'm so afraid of getting things wrong. Newsflash, you're going to get it wrong. You're going to mess up. You're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to step in it. Like it's, it, and that I would rather you mess up and keep trying than never try at all. Cause you yeah. never trying at all means you do not care to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I, you know, just to relate like a personal thing on that end, um, I'm so glad you brought up non black POC in this because you know the work I do, you, you see it. Um, this is something I deal with a lot, especially with the Indian American culture of like, all of a sudden, you know, like I've been doing this work even before NLC for nearly like, you know, a decade. And interestingly enough, my learning moments happened when the Black Lives Matter movement first started, you know, and I've been open about this of, I never learned real American history in school. I'm an immigrant. I came in here as a 10th grader. There was no systematic process of education there for me learning the real history. Everything was whitewashed. Of course, I was 14, so I was naive in thinking that the whitewashing that happened with Indian history would would not be happening here because of the American dream. Obviously, reality was whitewashed. but that being said, I was one of those people when, when Black Lives Matter movement first came out, I was like, uh-huh. I don't get it. Of course they do. Just like Indian Lives Matter, just like da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. And then, thankfully, I um, had friends close enough to me to wear they full on called me out Mm -hmm. and they said, we understand what you're trying to say. You don't know shit about what you're talking about. Come go stop, go learn, then come back and we'll have this conversation. We will hold that space. Mm -hmm. But first you do your due diligence in learning what you need to learn. If we see that you've done that due diligence, Yes, we're more than willing to have this conversation. Until that point, you STF you and get out. And I was like, these are some of my closest friends that I've shared everything with. The fact that they're telling me this, I'm obviously missing something. What am I missing? Whew, that was a rabbit hole. Because that was as an, you know, at that point I'd already become a citizen. But I did not realize how much things were whitewashed because I only came into the conversation when I was 14. So for me to unpack all of that then, 
in the context of my immigration history, I was just like, y'all, this is like, this is a new level of crazy here. Like, this is a new level of effed up. Mm-hmm. that this is what the system is, you know? And then I started having those conversations. I know I, I remember making like a very, very, um, Facebook didn't even have videos back then, like, you know, official video capabilities. And I remember recording a video and like posting it as a post to be like, oh my God, here's what I learned. I can't believe people, this is not, like, this is not standard knowledge. Like, what the hell is wrong with my country? What the hell is wrong with the education system? I went to a private school, and I still didn't get this. What? Mm -hmm. You know, and from that day forward, it's been a daily evolution for me of learning more and more and more and more nuances, the reason I bring that up now is in context of the non-Black POC, right? A lot of non-Black POC, especially coming from South Asian cultures, uh, we are selective immigrants. Our forefathers, families, whatever, did come here only for economic benefits or education for the majority. Yes, there's a few refugees and, you know, but they are the smaller parts. The majority of it has been for financial benefits or educational benefits. Given that, yes, in some senses, these communities are going to kind of protect the middle-class interests and fall in line with the powers that be. That being said, nobody is stopping any of us from doing the work to learn. The knowledge is out there. Crap, Google. Just like, don't, you don't even have to go to the library. You just Google Wikipedia, Wikipedia, like as horrible as Wikipedia is, just start there and then move forward from there. And then on top of that, what I want non-Black POC to understand is that there is a difference between co-opting Black voices and taking away from their power and actually adding the strength of our voices realizing where our line connects with the 450 year plus systemic oppression of black people in this country. Know that freaking lane and use your power in that lane to educate your community. Yeah. I, I, I was just talking to a friend the other day about this of, you know, these people who are coming out and protesting and marching and, you know, the ones that are like not agitators, but actually showing up as allies and doing work. I have been making it perfectly clear that I come from a family of protesters, marchers, the whole shebang. Having family from the South, my, my parents both being born in 65, like literally mm. like having conversations on like how things have really shifted in the last 50-ish years. And we're telling people that black people have been doing this work for ourselves. We know what needs to get done. We know how to do it. But the people who come in and want to take over and push our voices aside don't. <laughs> right? Like we have been doing this work. We can speak for ourselves. We have been here. We have, 
you know, if you, like you're saying, look at the last 450 years of Black people starting as slaves. And if we take a quick break to talk about how, you know, intergenerational trauma and a friend of mine the other day, we were talking about how, you know, 80% of our bodies are water and water has memory. And if you think about, you know, your the water in your body has passed through generations. So you physically hold generational trauma in your body. So although I am here as Brianna, half of James, half of Yolanda, I now have both of my parents' parents, their grandparents, and their great-grandparents that all catalyze into me. And if we're talking about, like, people who had to overcome slavery, overcome um, the civil rights movement, segregation, Jim Crow, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the war on drugs, like all of this stuff that black people hold in our bodies. Cause intergenerationally we have just continued to be traumatized. And the more we try to get ahead, the more, you know, white people tore us down. And I don't think a lot of non black people of color understand that because like you're saying, you have people who come here later on in life who get this whitewashed version of history. And so, you know, they off the cuff say, you know, you should, we should be so fortunate that we live in this country. And we're like, this country has done nothing but literally kill our people, either from stealing us from our land or bringing us here to work for you. Literally, when we say Black people built this, we built this. Black people were slaves and forced to work. We picked the cotton that was turned into clothes. Like, we didn't have any wealth for 400 years. We finally started to get ahead. We build Black Wall Street. White people burn it down. Like, we have never had a chance to get ahead. So when we say we, we were tired, never given a chance to get ahead. Yeah. When we say we are tired, we are 450 years of exhaustion catalyzed into people now. And so I just, I get so upset when, <laughs> when white people and non-black people of color come in and teach us how to, how to speak for ourselves and we know how to do it. This is just the first time we, you know, there, there was a saying going around of like, we are not, the the past generation and you know there's been a change to fix to change that language because it's not to not, not to be disrespectful we are saying this we this is not the generation that you mess with we have seen how history has gone and we are so sick of trying to play by your rules we try to protest like cap did and he not you know kaepernick took a knee which is like the most respectful way to protest and still that wasn't good enough we do sit-ins we do boycotts we do all these things and you know we are constantly told the right way and wrong way to do things and there's a woman i'll, I'll post the video here she made a whole video of, of explaining like how we have been playing 400 rounds of monopoly and for the first 400 goes around we, we weren't able to get yeah. anything then the next 50 rounds we tried to do things and you change the rules you burn the board you tell us that we landed on the wrong spot and now we're just like you know what we're gonna start we're, you know what we're, we're sick of it we're now just gonna do things that we want we're gonna start making our own rules yeah as, as i continue to think of you know white and non-black people who are coming in people of color who want to come in and be allies sit and listen and you know we we have this space we have invited you in you are just now tuning into the show that's been on for 400 years right like you are coming in 400 seasons later and trying to catch up we have mm -hmm. been here we have done this and I, I i i think as we continue to talk about like diversity equity inclusion it's us like don't just check off a box don't think that hiring a black queer woman who is differently abled is going to like that now your work is done because you have this one person who checks off all these boxes but like you're saying there's google you can literally google a day in history on this date and it'll tell you a different fact every day right mm -hmm. like i think of 
how black kids, like we grow up knowing stories because we have to go and find them because they're not shared if it's not Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, who still are vilified for doing the work that was so important. <laughs> and yeah, tangent about just, no, no, I, am, no. I am so proud to be black. And, you know, people who think that being pro-black is being anti-white is just another way to, to you know, degrade the 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 pride that we have in ourselves but we are some of we are the most resilient people i've ever met i mean shout out to black people to immigrants to people who are forced to come here or have no choice but to come here for new lives or you know to flee from other things but you know i am so proud of my family and the things that we have been able to do and you know what what you know just me myself what i've been over to, to be able to overcome and you know carrying that ancestral water in my body and just yeah, I, I, th I think of that all the time as I continue to like take up space and be invited to, to speak. And, you know, a lot of people have been like, how, did you, how have you done so much the last four years in a very white city? And I have said, because I deserve to be heard. And I think a lot of women have imposter syndrome because we are taught our whole lives to make ourselves smaller. Mm -hmm. And for me, I've been pushing the opposite. I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to be as big as I want to be. And either mm -hmm. you're going to like it or you're not going to look at it. And either way, I'm still going to be out here doing my thing. And I do that specifically because, A, I want to pay homage to my ancestors and thank them for the work they have done and give permission to next generation. So you don't have to fall in line. We mm -hmm. don't have to follow the rules. We are able to, to push ourselves ahead and take that same energy that has been pushed on us for so long, turn around and change our lives and not have to ask for permission to do it. Welcome to my Boom. <laughs> Welcome to my Boom. <laughs> um... I couldn't have said that any better. Oh my gosh. That was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Two things that I want to reinforce and support you on. One, this whole like pro-black being anti-black uh, or anti-white. Anybody who thinks that, that's not on the black person, that's on you. You think about that. Mm -hmm. You really unpack why somebody else fighting for their basic civil rights feels like they are fighting against you because this is not on the person fighting for their civil rights. This is on you. If you think somehow somebody else demanding equity is taking away from you, it's 100% on you. You unpack that. That onus and responsibility is on you, not on the black person or not on any other person of color outside of the situation who has to come in to explain this to you mm -hmm. it's not it's on nobody but you you unpack that you figure it out right and the second thing i want to say is um to really reinforce this idea of yes we're going to be different that's where i come from right like so um i come from a land that has very very recently come out of colonial overlording like one of the most recent, I mean, India is 70 years old. We were one of the last um, remnants of the colonial empire, you know, and most of our structures are still colonial. So most of our institutional structures. So these are what we are um, conditioned and brainwashed to believe. Um, and for any non-black person of color who is like, well, I have to step in and I have to do the work because I have the solution. No, stop. Stop. Take a deep breath. 
yes, you do have work within your community. Yep. Because anybody that's been touched by colonialism has had anti-blackness pervade their attitudes. Mm-hmm. So yes, you do have work. Yes, that is absolutely my work. And I am saying this just like you said about like intergenerational water. <sighs> I'm a Brahmin. I'm like the top of the top caste. My, and I'm one of those rare families where we can trace our lineage back near like thousands of years. I have that privilege. We have been scholars, mystics, spirituals, priests, Brahmin, blah, 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 whatever the heck that means throughout the history of my history. Yeah. I understand the philosophy behind it. I also understand how the corruption of the implementation of these ideas is deeply problematic because when you go back to like, you know, my culture and everything, casteism wasn't a birthright. People could switch castes based on what they were doing. It got corrupted. Hinduism wasn't even a freaking religion. It was a lifestyle. It got corrupted. Hinduism is not even polytheistic. It is monotheistic. That got cor- Like there are so many parts of it that got corrupted because of colonial attitudes that I now have to deal with. And it's like, if you think about, am I being a true Hindu by like supporting all of this? Yes. Yes, you are. You know, yes, you are as an Indian American by staying in your space as a non-black person of color, by stay like by, by, by talking to your community and using your voice because what I don't want people to think is that just because they're not black or just because they're not white, that they don't have the power to add to the strength of this. We have power and this power and strength is needed, not from a savior perspective at all. Nope. There is not a single black or African-American person I've ever known in my whole life who has needed a savior. They actually are heroes you are heroes because you have always, I mean, this is again, like you were talking about a 450 plus year saga here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then you bring in like the indigenous genocides and everything. And like, you know, it just, it, it turns into a complicated battle, but it is, it has been an ongoing battle for me to come in here as like somebody who's been in this country for 20 years and be like, I know the answers. I'm going to save you. Uh, yeah, you're right to think I'm out of my damn mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that being said, many people within my community don't know this. Many people within my community don't take the time to learn this. Yeah. That's where my allyship comes in. So allyship is not just taking over black people's narrative. It is addressing your internal narrative to reflect the real truth and standing in support of it. And that's the least I can do as an ally. 
is unpack that and say, this is where I come in. This is where I fit in. This is what I know. And this is the work I'm going to do within my community. I don't need to co-opt because what I do need is for my community to just realize the truth about how our very existence is on the back of the civil rights movements. That's that's what I would say to non-Black POC. Understand where you fit into the history. Understand you still have a place and a very important role. Your role is not the same role as that of Black persons who have been carrying this for 450 years. Your role is different. And when you support, when you walk into that role in the right way, you will not co-opt, you will not be a savior, and you will add to the strength of the movement by diminishing and dismantling the anti-blackness within your own community. That's what you're purpose as an activist from these communities is. Don't ever confuse it with what the purpose of black activists are. Their purpose is different. Your purpose is different. This this is what my soul needed today. (laughs) So I'm so excited uh, that we shared this space. I will be sure to link your website, all of the things in the show notes. Um, I do have one more question. It's the question that I ask at the end of every show. What is the best advice you were ever given or what's a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? If, if I could go back to when I was 14, I was a 10-day-old immigrant in a new, new all-girls Catholic high school here, predominantly white. And within 10 days after that, I'd made a whole bunch of friends and all of them were women of color. All of them, almost, almost. Um, What I would tell myself is, your story is yours. Your journey is yours. It doesn't have to take away from anybody else's, but nobody else gets to take away from yours either. The truth of, you feel the truth in your heart. There's this nagging feeling that never goes away. This, this like fire. Lean into that. Lean into that truth. Make that truth your why and keep walking that truth no matter what happens. You'll be all right. As long as you do that. That's it for this week's episode of The Tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Tea with Brie. Send me an email at theteawithbree at gmail.com and visit the website, theteawithbreepodcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music, and I'll talk to y'all next week. Bye. Thank you so much.